0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Weird Distractions podcast, a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate discussing true crime cases, paranormal hotspots, conspiracy theories, folklore, urban legends, a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you and more than likely what your local cactus connoisseur would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. This week, I am going to be talking about a true crime case, specifically a cold case out of Illinois. But before I dive into said case, I need to tell you what I distraction from. And I do have a little bit of housekeeping. In terms of housekeeping, I am going to be taking a little bit of a break on March 12th. So that Sunday, I won't be releasing a regular episode. It will be a Patreon episode because I will be coming back from Pennsylvania. So hopefully you enjoy that episode. It is from the Even Weirder series. If you're like, hey, what's that about? I'm just listening for the first time. First of all, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Second of all, the Even Weirder series is a monthly bonus episode series I have over on Patreon for as low as $2 USD a month. You can get access to this series, get early access to regular degular episodes. You also get ad-free content as well as travel blog posts and more. So definitely check that out by going to www.patreon.com slash Weird Distractions Podcast. As well, I do want to draw your attention to the Reddit on Wiki podcast feed and their YouTube channel, because your girl was over there. I sat down with Josh and John from the show and it was a riot. We had some hilarious and deep and meaningful conversations. So if you're looking for something a little bit lighter after today's episode, I would highly recommend you check that out. Now for my need for a distraction this week. My need for distraction is there is a full moon coming, like March 7th. I'm recording this on February 27th, and my god, I can tell that there's a full moon coming. People are just buck wild. People just have the utmost audacity and are just reminding me that, yes, I did indeed pick a career that forces me to work with people even though I... Don't like people. So I need distraction from, you guessed it, work. Now that I've mentioned that though, I think it's time we just get into this week's episode. To kick off the first episode of the month, I wanted to highlight a missing person's case. It's been a minute since I've highlighted one, and I just wanted to give some space to discuss this case that I came across online. Having said that, this week I am tackling the disappearance of Rachel Marie Mellon Skimp. Due to potential coarse language, discussions of harm to a minor, and other adult themes, listener discretion is advised. Rachel entered on this floating rock on Tuesday, October 13th of 1982. Her parents, Jeff and Amy Skemp, were residents of Melrose Park, Illinois, and I can imagine that they were over the moon with their newest addition. Hazel-eyed Rachel, who has been described as being a bubbly and vivacious child with a great sense of humor, was reportedly often positive despite negative happenings that occurred around her in her early years. These negative happenings involved her parents, who were perhaps experiencing bumps within their relationship. By 1985, Jeff and Amy divorced, leaving then three-year-old Rachel. Rachel and Amy on their own as Jeff reportedly left and relocated to Texas. Amy and Rachel would continue to live in Illinois, where Amy would eventually re-enter the dating scene. Amy began dating a man named Vincent Mellon, a Caucasian man who, by all accounts, seemed to be a catch to Amy. Vincent and Amy eventually married, and the two would have a son named Jason in 1988, followed by a daughter named Ashley in 1990. The newly blended Skemp-Mellon family eventually moved to Bowling Brook, Illinois, under 40 minutes south of the Melrose Park area. On the outside looking in, the family more than likely appeared to be your average American family. However, from what I gathered in my research, life in the Skemp Mellon home wasn't necessarily average or easy. Around the time that Ashley was born, so around 1990, Rachel's mother, Amy, and Vincent got into a physical altercation. In the mix of all this, Vincent reportedly verbally threatened Rachel. A restraining order would be filed by Amy against Vincent after this incident, however, it would be dropped and the pair would eventually get back together. I couldn't determine through the online information if this was kind of a one and done situation, but regardless, home life was considered somewhat shaky, which I suspect it was shaky for Rachel. I suspect this as claims note that in the spring of 1995, Rachel had reportedly ran away from home. She supposedly left a note explaining that she ran away due to being afraid she would be blamed for something her younger sibling broke, according to a Medium article by McKay. Alexandra. Rachel fled to a friend's house the night she ran away and based on what I gathered online she then called her step-grandparents the following morning. The step-grandparents reportedly picked her up and returned her home without any incident publicly stated. I couldn't find any of the reports of Rachel running away that year or after the fact so it's not really clear to me if this was once again a one and done thing. I don't want to speculate too wildly and paint a picture when I don't have the tools to do as such and well that's just not what I'm here to do. The next publicly noted event in Rachel's life took place on Wednesday, January 31st of 1996. Reports claim that Rachel stayed home sick that chilly day from school, reportedly complaining of having a sore throat. Vincent was home with Rachel as he was unemployed at the time, and Amy, Jason, and Ashley were not at home for the majority of the day, so it was just Rachel and Vincent at home. According to the previously mentioned Medium article by Michaela Alexandra, by 10.45 a.m. that day, Rachel reportedly called her paternal grandmother, Lucy Skemp, to thank her for the Christmas presents she had sent. The conversation supposedly lasted a total of five minutes, and it ended on a bit of an unsettling note. Rachel, according to Lucy, got very quiet on the phone, which to me, I picture it as out of nowhere, given what was then elaborated by Lucy. This silence from Rachel prompted Lucy to ask her if Vincent was around, in which Rachel reportedly replied yes, and then Rachel said she had to go. What is no next after this phone call comes from mostly Vincent's disclosure of events. Vincent claimed that he and Rachel played Nintendo together for a bit after she got off the phone with Lucy. Afterwards, Rachel supposedly took a nap in her room. Vincent claims that while Rachel napped, he took the family dog, a white German shepherd named Duke, on a walk at around 2 30 p.m. This walk lasted for about 30 minutes in which Vincent claimed that Duke broke free from its collar to chase after a rabbit in a nearby field. Vincent, seemingly defeated, decided to leave the dog and go home assuming that Duke would find his own way back. Which I'm sorry but that's just a red flag to me like I would keep looking for the dog but hey I wasn't there I don't know the dog well enough that's just my own personal opinion. According to Vincent he left the front door unlocked prior to him leaving the home to go on the walk with Duke. Reports claim that when Vincent came home and noticed that Rachel wasn't around in the house anymore, he supposedly went about his day, assuming that she was just napping in her room still. By 3.15pm, Rachel's sister, then 6-year-old Ashley, returned home from school and noticed that her sick sister was not at home. Ashley supposedly mentioned to Vincent that Rachel wasn't home, but accounts claim that Vincent didn't really seem too concerned. I don't know if he had looked around the house for her again or even debated on calling Amy or the police at that time. It seems like red flags didn't start going off or any alarms really went off until Amy and Jason arrived home after 5pm and once again, Rachel's not around. Ashley, Vincent couldn't tell them where Rachel was. They couldn't find Rachel around the house. She was just gone. This is when the family called the Boiling Brook Police who, based on what I gathered on showed up several hours later. The whole scene seemed off. According to the Charlie Project, two pillows and the blue blanket that Rachel was wrapped in when she was last seen taking a nap were missing along with Rachel of course. Rachel's purse and walkman were also still at the home and based upon the investigation at the scene there was no sign of a forced entry within the home. Mind you the front door, I think it was the front door at least, was left unlocked from when Vincent took Duke out for a walk. So based on that information and the fact that there was no evidence of a forced entry it could very well be that someone just walked in and walked out with without really causing any damage. When word got out that Rachel was missing, people reportedly began approaching police or were eventually sought out by police to interview regarding Rachel and what happened leading up to her disappearance. Some of Rachel's friends from school supposedly told investigators that on January 30th, Rachel was noticed by them crying at her locker. When asked what was wrong, Rachel allegedly stated that she had a problem, but that she would quote, take care of it herself. It may seem vague to us this response but that's because Rachel allegedly didn't divulge any further details despite her friends reportedly asking. To add even more of a weird and unnerving detail to the investigation, police reportedly learned from Rachel's diary that her stepfather, once again Vincent Mellon, had tried to kiss her and touch her inappropriately just months before she disappeared. Police also reportedly located a book called Daddy Kisses and a Steak Knife Hidden Under Her Bed. I found a description of this book by Ann Gutman, which reads, Quote, What could be sweeter than adorable baby animals snuggling with their daddies? This simple board book with one Warm illustrations feature a variety of animals and celebrate the affection between fathers and their children. Cuddles and kisses will surely abound when reading this aloud." End quote. Now, it's not clear to me if Vincent gave Rachel this book or why she had it in her possession, but adding all of this into the mix, Vincent was considered a suspect, and some people to this day still believe that there is more to his narrative than what he has disclosed. Upon first glance by investigators, Vincent was seen to have scratches on his arms when they arrived at the melon skimp home when Rachel was first initially reported missing. Which, upon questioning, Vincent claimed that these scratches were from working on his car. And you can't see me right now, but I'm using air quotations because this just seemed weird to me. But here's where things go from weird and concerning to downright frustrating and unnerving. So police bring Vincent into questioning, in which he was reportedly questioned for less than an hour after supposedly invoking his Fifth Amendment rights. I don't know if this took place during this questioning meeting or on a separate one, but supposedly Vincent also was given a lie detector test, which there are parts that he allegedly flunked. Eerily, he reportedly flunked when providing answers regarding Rachel's whereabouts and his history of domestic violence. Amy, Rachel's mother, was questioned for going on 9 hours, supposedly. And I don't know if Amy was considered a suspect, but I can imagine she was interviewed due to her relationship with Vincent and what she knew about Vincent and Rachel's relationship. By the year 2000, the police were able to get DNA samples, including blood, semen, saliva, and hair, from Vincent through a warrant. This was done for a grand jury investigation, even though Vincent wasn't technically charged with anything from my understanding, but supposedly it ended without anything really transpiring out of it. In other words, there was no trial, there was no formal charges, like nothing really happened out of this, which to me is weird, but unfortunately I don't have the full details as to why nothing came out of it. Weirdly, in March of 2001, Amy claimed that Rachel called her phone three separate times within three minutes. However, this claim by Amy has never been fact-checked, and I picture this being a little bit hard to prove, given police weren't at the home when it happened, and I don't think there was any physical evidence from Amy to kind of back it up. Further speaking about Amy, resources I came across online stated that Amy and Vincent moved away from Illinois to Tennessee sometime in 1996. I did come across some online resources that claim that Amy and Vince actually broke up briefly after Rachel's disappearance, but the two got back together before this move. After this move, the couple was considered no longer cooperative with the Bolingbroke police. Whether it was purposeful or unintentional is kind of up for discussion. I say that it's up for discussion because according to a ABC7 Chicago article, after Amy and Vincent's move out to Illinois, the phone numbers they provide to the police were either disconnected or simply they've just never got an answer anytime they called. Again, whether the couple purposely distanced themselves or not, as mentioned, seems kind of to be up for debate. I don't want to come across hard or sound like an asshole, but you'd think that they'd reach out to police if they did get new numbers, but once again, we don't know the circumstances. Even though Amy and Vincent were gone, the community in Bolingbrook wasn't going to forget Rachel so easily. On May 25th of 2002, six years after Rachel's mysterious disappearance, the city of Bolingbrook dedicated a tree to Rachel at Whitfleur Park, right across the street from the house she disappeared in. The city also buried a time capsule in Rachel's memory. In 2006, Rachel's father, Jeff Skemp, who was in Texas while all of this was going on, held a memorial service and created a website called Remembering Rachel, which will be in today's show notes. Now, I want to highlight Rachel's last known physical descriptions so that you kind of get a visual of what Rachel looked like when she disappeared, and keep in mind as there have been age-progressed photos that have been released since her disappearance. Rachel was reportedly last wearing a pink sweater or sweatshirt, yellow sweatpants, and red house slippers. She has been described as being an Asian female, with some resources noting that she may appear to be of Italian or Greek descent. Rachel had both of her ears pierced and has a mole on the upper left side of her lip, she may use the last name Skemp or possibly melon Skemp. she was last known to have black hair that was cut short at the time of her disappearance but she often wore it at shoulder length based on resources rachel was five foot tall and weighed between 70 to 80 pounds i know i mentioned that folks think vincent is associated with rachel's disappearance but there are some other explanations that have come up throughout the years There were some folks that believe that some of Rachel's relatives had picked her up to take her out of state. However, this has never been proven and seemingly this theory has kind of just been thrown out. I think the reason why this theory might have been thrown out is because even if Rachel was taken out of state, it's been this long. You'd think that she would have come forward by now. There is also the notion that Rachel may have ran away from home, but oddly enough, Rachel's bank account has not been touched since her disappearance. And prior to her disappearance, there were no transactions to suggest that she had purchased like a bus or a plane ticket which leads me to think that if she ran away or was taken by another family member there would be some trace of her somewhere at some point but there hasn't been. Due to the circumstances of Rachel's disappearance i.e the randomness of it all and what was reported taking place prior to many folks suspect that Rachel may have fallen victim to foul play. One of those people that believe this is Rachel's father, Jeff. Jeff reportedly was quoted saying the following regarding his daughter's case. Quote, Whoever did this, and I have my suspicions about what happened, did a really good job of covering up. I think if the police search there, being the melon Skimp garage, the night that they first got called there, especially knowing how many times they've been called to that house, if they search that garage and open up the trunk of that car that didn't run, I bet they would find her right then and there. End quote. With this being said, I'm going to wrap up this week's case. Rachel Marie. A sister, a daughter, and a friend, a lover of science and nature, and an honor student was only 13 years old when she seemingly vanished from her Illinois home. There are so many questions revolving around Rachel's case that leave many, including me, scratching their heads. Since her disappearance, there have been age progress photos released, as mentioned, to the public with hopes that perhaps now 41-year-old Rachel may be found. For anyone with any information regarding Rachel's whereabouts, please contact the Bolingbrook Police Department Missing Persons Unit at 630-226-8620. Her agency case number with the Bolingbrook Police Department Missing Persons Unit is 96-2670. The National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, aka US, created a profile on their website on July 1st, 2009 for Rachel. This website, among with others, such as the Doe Network and the previously mentioned and Charlie project includes photos of Rachel, her demographic information, and further contacts who are aware of her case. Rachel's family, friends, and simply those who knew her from Brook continue to seek hope that Rachel may be out there somewhere safe. The empath in me is also hoping the same. Let me know your thoughts about Rachel's case over on the show's social media accounts or by shooting me an email. Like other missing persons cases or unsolved murder cases, please share their stories around with family, friends, or anyone who will listen. The the more we as a collective can speak about Rachel, among others, the more we can continue to breathe life into these cold cases and one day perhaps get some kind of clue or answer. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming weird distractions or any podcast on a podcast platform that allows you to leave a rating or review, please consider leaving a rating or review because that is the best way and the cheapest way, because it's free, to support your favorite podcasts. Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an episode is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find Weird Distractions over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and on TikTok. Do you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month? Why not join one of two tiers over on the Weird Distractions Patreon. Each month you get exclusive content, such as bonus episodes and bonus series, such as the even weirder series the weird destinations travel posts plus early and ad free access to regular feed episodes you can find out which tier is best suited for you by going to www.patreon.com weird distractions podcast shout out to my current patrons aka my weird little family members tom bailey angela john alicia lynn Susan, Jennifer, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. I love you and appreciate your support so much. Without you, Weird Distractions may not be what it is today. Lastly, I want to hear from you. I would love to collect your stories of paranormal encounters, too close to home true crime cases, maybe even some weird MLM experiences or maybe just in general weird things that you've encountered so that I can continue to release the Listener Distractions series. And you might be tuning in for the first time and you might not know what I'm talking about. This is a series that Christy and I originally started where we would read your personal experiences on air. If you have a story you want to share, please email me at podcast at outlook.com. As well, send me feedback. If there are any corrections needed to be made after today's episode, please let me know. And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye.